This is the movie Hall of Fame. We're talking Japanese horror on today's podcast. And there he is across the table from me, the little girl in my TV. It's Adam Hall. (laughs) Hi. We are doing this thing for Valentine's Day. We're actually America's power couple. You know, we're we're, we're podcasting's power couple. Not not Leonardo DiCaprio and the (laughs) 19-year-old. No, not those so. two. They're not destined to be a power couple. I mean, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> but, but after, what was it six years? She's done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to see that true love is not dead, you know. And that if those two can make it, then anyone really can. Um, what a what a high school graduation present, by the way. Yeah, you get right. To, you get to fuck Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I got about 50 bucks cash, but <laughs> I think I would have traded that in if presented oh, with the opportunity. Good God. Yeah, it's uh, it's creepy. Uh, yeah, a little bit. It's a little creeps. A little bit. Uh, we're here to talk about some creepier things, though, I would say. I don't know. Maybe. Some of these things, I would say, as creepy as Leo's uh, attraction <laughs> to people half his age. I would hope they're, uh, well, God, that is pretty creepy. doesn't get much creepier than that. <laughs> so we are doing this Valentine's Day swap. We do this every now and again. You pick a topic of movies that I would have never watched otherwise, if not for this podcast. Mm. And I do the same for you. And we uh, meet in the middle and talk about them. You chose the subject Japanese horror. I did. For today's pod. And you chose these five movies. I did. Onibaba. Kaidan, Cure, Ring, or The Ring, or Ringu, however you want to pronounce it, and Audition. Hell yeah. And I watched all five of these for the first time. (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to talk about them. Sweet, sweet. I I also did copious amounts of research because I felt like I was out of my depth on this one. Yeah, you probably needed to. Uh, I'm not even someone who understands like all the, the the backstory for every single one of these movies necessarily. They're just movies that I like. I'd seen three of them prior to doing this pod. Only needed to watch Quite On and uh, Cure. And that was it. Um, also, really interesting experiences that we'll talk about. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a cool one. I think we we initially started this one. Uh, I th- I had the thought J horror. I think that's what I originally said. But I had a bigger interest in like more than just J-horror, because what we found out was that that's a, it's actually technically its own subgenre. J-horror is specifically describing the boom that happened in the late 90s mm. and early 2000s yeah. in Japanese horror, and it's a Western term, J-horror. Sure. And um, if you recall, if you were around in the early 2000s, there were remakes of movies like The Grudge and The Ring um, that did quite well over here. Uh, movies like Pulse, movies like Dark Water, that's also, right. that they, those got remakes too. I forgot about that. Yes, uh, they were part of the sort of J horror boom, and some of these movies fall under that category. But yeah. we decided to go back in time a little bit and explore the entire history of Japanese horror, which is kind of a a broad, broad genre, and we can't possibly cover no. every little nook and cranny on today's show. But we can we can uh, do a decent broad overview, I guess. That's part of the reason why I wanted to include the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to sort of cover the early text that's helped define the movies that come later on. Um, and it's very interesting. And all of these movies, even the J-horror ones, are, in my opinion, very different from one another in many respects. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. I love these movies. So, funny enough, I, I 
Is there one that I don't love? There's maybe one that I don't love, but even that one's very good in my opinion. So yeah, really solid movies. And what did you think of them? I had a good time. Yeah. I had a pretty good time. Well, you went easy on me. I did. Pulse and The Grudge were originally on here, and I think those would have been the two scariest movies. Probably. Had you had nominated them. Yeah, yeah, probably. So you, you, you let me off the hook. I will say, though, in general, this was not really the style of horror that I was expecting mm-hmm. coming into it. And I think, like, Western audiences, if if you're uh, new to the Japanese horror subgenre, like, you might come in expecting something more violent uh, more jump scary because that is what we think of as horror in yeah. this country, right? Like slasher films of the eighties, even the supernatural ghost stories, devil possessed stories like the yeah, omen yeah, yeah. of the seventies, um, all the way to the torture porn of the two thousands. Uh, there's a lot of violence, a lot of jump scares. Uh, and this genre is much more psychological. Very. Yeah. Uh, most of these are ghost stories and they also follow this long tradition of Japanese folklore. Some um, of them, yeah. Some of them are directly about that. Some of them are like direct adaptations of oral folktales. Yeah. Others are just sort of, they, they remix and rework some of the imagery. Yes. But there is a deep history that goes back to like Kabuki theater. Yeah. I think uh, No Theater, N-O-H, is the other major influence. But really, after World War II, after the atomic bomb, that's when the horror genre in movies really takes off yeah and some people even considered the original godzilla to fall under that right. that banner and maybe they're right yeah uh the funny thing about uh yeah the, the story of japanese horror is that it's birthed out of like trauma like actual trauma yes. not not and it's not just like a filmmaker's individual trauma it's like the trauma of an entire country that filters its way into these stories and into these movies and Sometimes very little in personal ways, and sometimes it's it's directly about all of that stuff, like in Godzilla. Um, I I kind of love like if you if you're getting into this genre to begin with, you'd, you'd start with something like Onibaba and think it's going to be one thing, and it's it ends up being a totally different thing. But then when you watch it and you actually sit with it and experience it, it's like, yeah, this is more traumatic to me than a lot of horror movies I actually watch nowadays. Yeah, it's, right. They're, they're rough. And I think the, con- the, the, the the important thing here, I think the, the, the important distinction between what you would make with Japanese horror versus, you know, more traditional American horror is that these these movies are more about just just mood and the content, I always say that, you know, I, I'm not scared by Midsummer, but the content is a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, undoubtedly. Well, it's, I think in that yeah. movie, it's yeah. the distinction between horrifying and scary. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. And uh, a movie like Cure, for example, is not scary. Scary. Well, it Sometimes is at times, is, but, but not. Exactly. But it's much more horrifying. It is it is much yeah. uh, more cynical about like the rot at the core of humanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Onibaba is, is similar. Let's just start with that one right now. Yeah. Onibaba from 1964, directed by Kanato Shindo. Two women kill samurai and sell their belongings for a living, while one of them is having an affair with their neighbor. The other woman meets a mysterious samurai wearing a bizarre mask. That is the synopsis. And I think you read that and you're like, that's a horror movie and you watch it. And even for the first hour and a half of this thing, I'm like, is this really 
horror. I, again, it was not the kind of horror I was that expecting. You're used to. I was expecting you to torture me, frankly. And, and some of this was the expectation that that you gave of just like, yes, I'm going to make Nico watch the most depraved shit. That well, w- they will kind of get there. Uh, one, but there's a few on like like I said with Pulse was the one that I really wanted to like freak you out with. We actually cut that one. Yes. <laughs> and a part of my reason is like, all right, well, if if I need to make room for like the more important. Uh, topics here then I kind of have to do that so that we can talk about Onibaba and Kwaidan yes but that movie has one scene in particular that would have really traumatized you and, and it's not even violent it's not jump scary but it is it's just the most terrifying thing you've ever seen so this thing is yeah. shot or set in 15th century Japan during a civil war in that country the title Onibaba means demon woman i think oni specifically is uh means demon Mm -hmm. um and you'll see that pop up in several of the movies that we're going to talk about today and it is considered one of the first japanese horror films straight up it is it is a movie and although there is some debate about the genre some people consider it a drama a thriller kind of an action movie at times it does have the imagery of a horror movie and the last 10 minutes particularly with the curse that um, that plagues one of the characters by the end of it. Yes. It's clearly a, uh, influenced by old ghost stories in Japanese folklore. Very much so. Yeah. This movie is amazing. It's really good. <laughs> yep. It's really good. Adam, you're one for one. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous fucking cinematography. The yep. the black and white is so high contrast. Yep. It, it's just beautiful the entire time. The location. Mm, the grass field. One of my favorite locations ever. The grass field. <laughs> this was uh, Shindo's idea. He wanted to set his movie in these giant reeds, these giant blades of grass, mm-hmm. seemingly this endless field of grass. And um, these characters sort of exist in their own kind of society. It's kind of like their town. Yeah, it's it's both a town and part of the the natural world in a weird way. Right. And there's a great blending of, you know, of of those two elements and they're juxtaposed in a clever way to make this movie feel incredibly apocalyptic. That was my takeaway when I first saw it. I was like, you know, like it's not the apocalypse, but it feels like just drifters that have found a little space in the wilderness and they've become animals and they're just doing anything they need to do to survive. So anyone who, who stumbles upon them is going to meet a horrible fate at the bottom of a hole in this grass field. <laughs> Chekhov's hole. <laughs> and, and I kept waiting. Who's going to fall down that know, fucking hole? And every time they're running through, it's like, holy shit, watch your step. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, seriously, though, you will you will watch that in, that sequence of being like, uh, it, it, it's coming, it's coming. It's and coming, then, right. And then it, it the, when they finally get to it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. Yeah, Chekhov's hole is finally used. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the setting, it's, it, again, it goes back to the tradition of i mean there are plenty of parables there are biblical stories there's there's hansel and gretel or whatever the idea of like being lost in the woods you know when as society decays that uh you know the the very explicit metaphor of literally being in the woods is prevalent in american culture Mm -hmm. this is different though this these uh reeds are much more suffocating Mm. than the woods you know and you know it wasn't just like robin hood right like this this is a smothering claustrophobic story oh and you get like with the with the amazing shots of the wind rustling the leaves it's very like violent in a way yes particularly with the noise and the constant motion it's just the opening of this movie is oh my god it's fantastic it's just very anxiety inducing and then to complement that you always get the sense that someone's watching you right which is (laughs) the sound design i just want to jump straight into the 
the sound design, which is going to be a, a through line with basically all these movies. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, no one does sound better than the Japanese. Apparently not. <laughs> Fucking hell. This like it, it, it it's a, like the I don't know what they did there, but like the breathing sounds where it's like you can't tell if it's diegetic or not right and that that doubt that pl- that kind of plagues your mind throughout the, the the entirety of the movie is so unnerving yeah and yeah it it, it kind of sets you on edge it, it's like it's this movie that doesn't really let you rest kind of reminds me, a few of these movies actually kind of remind me of the feeling i got when i first saw of all things like shutter island at a young age and it's not that they're like shutter island but like there's something about like the psychological effect of that movie where I just walked out of it feeling like I, I my eyes were just stapled open through the entirety of the movie and like worried about what's around every corner. Mm. And this has a similar effect to that. It just made me mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> uh, it is also a very violent movie. Mm-hmm. Not so much that there's a lot of blood in it, but there's a lot of very casual violence. It kind of plays like an exploitation film at times, particularly when they drown the two samurai in the in the pond earlier on in the movie i mean it's violent it's not like explicitly violent no but, but yeah it, it, it can it, it kind of gets there towards the end but, but. it's very violent and mm-hmm. the sex the this sex was, in this movie now this is the thing that i was i was curious about what you were going to think about it because it's really now this is extremely explicit for the time anyway sure and surprise when i first saw it i was kind of shocked to see it yeah i was like because when did it come out again 64 <laughs> See, even because I had seen a, a fair amount of uh, Japanese films by the time I'd seen this. And even then, I'm like, it's not that common for them to show this much nudity. Right. There is a tremendous amount of just just bare nudity in this movie. And it kind of gets to the point that the, the, you're affected by the casualness of it in this society. It kind of helps emphasize more of that apocalyptic vibe that's ever present. Like where the the guy comes out and just tries to, I think he tries to get the girl to come with him. And then the, the mom is just standing there topless, just telling him to go away right. the movie calls no attention to it she's just topless yeah the, and also like the the kinds of sex there's they're not like sex scenes but but there are scenes that clearly happen before sex yeah and the sort of foreplay is very oh. violent it's very base it's very uh-huh. primal uh-huh. and that's kind of the entire point of this movie yes. is that in the wake of war society crumbles yes and we are reduced to our base instincts and watching these characters interact again with just like Nudity, just a, a part of life. It's yeah, just exactly. Like, it's like exactly. caveman shit. Like it's so, it's so fucking uh, primal and depraved. You know, there's no real courting mechanism here. It's just like a guy grabs a woman by the boob and they begin having sex. Right? There is nothing sexy about the sex in this movie. No, there's nothing appealing about the nudity at all. No. And similarly, there is nothing really exciting. Is not the right word, but the, but there's nothing appealing about the violence. You know, there's nothing fun about the violence. Um, It's it's you're just watching society kind of decay and you're watching those left over uh, as casualties of war uh, kind of behaving just to survive. Basically, Um, every frame of this movie. Characters are not in pursuit of joy. No, 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 no. It's it's ugly and it's sometimes kind of ferocious to see what they have to do. They're just they're not. This is the other thing. If you're watching it for the first time, they're not likable characters at all not almost not almost nobody in this film is sympathetic mm-hmm. whatsoever because they've been debased to these animals because mm-hmm. they and and the, the creepiest thing is that they they act upon it as if it's like a perfectly fine thing to do right <laughs> and then by the time you get to the end of it it's interesting to see who's punished for these actions and who kind of comes out okay right and they make in the movie makes an interesting point for the person that just says you know something like 
maybe it's okay to go out and <laughs> have sex with somebody <laughs> right, and you know, in, in a world like this. What else do we have? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, the person that is uh, so rigorously obsessed with like morality and control yeah. and order and yeah, right. Giant is, hypocrite in the matter. <laughs> yes. Is, is yeah. the one that's punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, the image of the face at the end that was inspired, uh, according to the director, by the images of atomic bomb victims. Mm-hmm. So clearly, again, this is. This is about World War II, even though it's about, yeah. you know, the 15th uh, century. Similar to, like, how Hearts of Darkness is not about Vietnam, but it ends up becoming about Vietnam in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Yeah, that idea of, like, war strips you of, of all of the pleasantries yes. of life. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Th- this idea that you can just, like, go out and date and have sex and have <laughs> friends and go out for drinks after work is, uh, is a privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, war strips all of those things away from you. And this is what you're left with. Yep. And survival is ugly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, it's, you know, it's not a horror movie in the way that we think about horror movies, but the horror is within the hearts of man. At it's, all. it's poetically a horror film, mm-hmm. as are a few movies on this list, as are as is certainly the next film we're going to talk about. It's like the prime example of that, even maybe more so than this. I'm not even and this is the funny thing about this podcast, because there's a few films on this list where it's like, I'm not really even sure how they rank with me, to be honest. There's a lot that kind of hit similar marks, but for different reasons. But this is just an awesome, awesome, chilling examination of the human condition in a time of serious oppression. And that's where the horror comes from. Yes. Next up, mm-hmm. also from 1964, oh. comes out a month after Onibaba. Think about that. Damn. Kaidan. I, 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 apparently, it's not pronounced Kaidan. No. Kaidan? It's Kaidan. Kaidan. Kaidan is the name of uh, this genre of ghost story from, you know, old Japan, old Japanese lore. It means, I think, in the language, uh, weird or strange. Okay. It refers to, like, you know, old ghost stories that are a little off kilter. You know, more creepy than scary. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of these uh, very simple fables and parables. These uh, stories, for the most part, were oral traditions that at the end of the 19th century were compiled by this Irish writer named Lafcadio Hearn, uh, who compiled this book uh, titled Kaidan. Also, the book is like half like research about insects. It's very strange. It's like half ghost story and half insect manual. Why? Why? Because uh, that's what he was into. I don't know. That's very bizarre. So uh, Hearn uh, is an Irish writer, moves to Japan, marries a Japanese woman, is fluent in the language, and compiles all of these stories and translates them for uh, Western consumption. And that kind of uh, leads to a, um, a rediscovery of some of these stories in Japan. And the director of this movie, Masaki Kobayashi, he says, I'm going to now adapt the English translation of these Japanese stories. So it's kind of a readaptation of an English adaptation. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and he makes this movie, Kaidan, a collection of four Japanese folktales with supernatural themes. This movie was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Academy Awards, mm. the only Oscar-nominated movie on the list. Yeah. And yeah, the four stories, The Black Hair, The Woman of the Snow, Hochi the Earless, and In a Cup of Tea. <laughs> Four of the movies from Hearn's book are uh, included in this anthology movie, this early horror anthology movie. Yeah, yeah, the earliest version of scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, or VHS or... Yeah, yeah, VHS, that's right. Trick or treat. Trick or treat, yeah. Yeah. 
Has it ever been done better? No. Absolutely not. Hell no, it's <laughs> never been done better because the movie's kind of a masterpiece. This movie rules. It's fucking amazing, isn't it? You're two for two, Adam. Congrats. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I will say, one of, one of the criticisms, and I don't even think it was a criticism. Someone was just saying in, in one of their reviews, it's like, it's an amazing film, but it's almost too beautiful to be a horror film. Mm. And I almost agree with them. Yeah. I almost did. It's so pretty. It is a gorgeous film, and the production is incredible, and it's every detail is considered. It feels like an old storybook. It really does. But it also feels tactile, and it feels like I can touch everything that's there. And it's the perfect blend of like real and the uncanny. I love it. It reminded me of uh, the production of uh, Dracula, mm-hmm. Coppola's Dracula, a lot of the time. Yeah. A lot of those same tricks are used, particularly in... The woman in the snow story with the eyes in the background. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. He does this thing where it's it's uh, it's hyper stylized yep. reality. Uh, the the skylines in one moment are this like vibrant golden hour orange, and yep. then it's uh, it, this like very arctic blue with eyes just all over the sky, and it's never really addressed. The characters don't recognize it. It's just like this is the reality that you're in now. Yep. And I love that shit. No, exactly. It's like it's re- reminding you that it's not really real life, but it is this movie's reality. Right. It is this story's reality. Yeah. And now accept it and and have fun with the ride or don't have fun with the ride because some of these are very sad stories. Some of them are really beautiful. Some of them are kind of creepy. Yes. You know, some are both. You know, what my favorite. <laughs> I don't know if it's my favorite one, but the one that's closest to us is kind of a, kind of a combination of all those oh it's my favorite one absolutely yeah, it might, it might be. i don't know what's my favorite um, so the woman in the snow is the one that i'm referring to but that yes. one was cut for the united states release really oh yeah boy, that's funny how is that <laughs> that's the best one of the four. Oh my god so the inside joke that that we have well, it's not really an inside joke if you listen to why is this a thing that's true, yeah. last year we covered the movie uh tales from the dark side the another, movie another anthology film and another anthology movie that adapts essentially the story of the woman in the snow yuki ona yeah yes there you go yeah, I'm going to need help with the, the Japanese translations or the Japanese <laughs> pronunciations today. So <laughs> I'm not that good at it. I'm, I'm trying my best to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah, it adapts it for kind of a modern context. And when we saw that movie. <laughs> it was nuts, bro. It was fucking nuts. <laughs> it, was, it was the best thing about the movie. Yeah, little did I know that this story goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. Yep. And this is the original source text. This is this is this is an adaptation of that original story from Japan. Yes. Yep. Right. Uh, of the uh, the woman that this guy meets during a blizzard. She kills. She's like a, a forest spirit, a, a spirit of the snow, and she kills his buddy. But then gets a look at him, and she's like, "Ah, you're too handsome. I'll let you go." <laughs> But you have to promise not to tell anybody. Well, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years. He has met this woman. He marries her and they have a bunch of kids. And uh, one night he reveals his secret that he has not told anyone this entire time. Turns out the woman that he married is the spirit <laughs> in disguise. Uh yeah, if you watch the Tales from the Dark Side version, it's, it's that way spirit is a, is a gargoyle <laughs> that ends up like eating the, the fucking guy. I think it slices his throat, like bites his throat out or something. Right. Like that. And the little babies turn into little gargoyle babies. <laughs> it's, it's the fucking best. It's insane. And it takes place in like, like fucking Hell's Kitchen or something. Right. It's just the shittiest New York you've ever seen. Yeah. Oh, it's great. It rules. Did they do it better than this one? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Don't know. Good question. Uh, <laughs> Good question. I don't know. Yeah, but it, it's 
that's probably the one that stood out for me. I don't know. Well, give me your opinions on each of these. I don't want to like go into too much detail because the Ukiona story is the scariest for me, just because that image of that the image of that character, just the the blank, cold face and the black teeth, is just striking and really chilling. No pun intended, but right. it is. Yeah, that uh, idea also too of like the vengeful woman, yeah. scorned, or it comes back mm-hmm. in a lot of. Uh, of the J-horror movie. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it does. We'll get to that. Uh, and yeah, that, that one to me was the most effective as a horror story. I think the, the most powerful one is the, the earless man for me. Uh, Hochi. Ho- Ho- Hochi, which I was not into at first. I'm like, this is fucking long and it's not quite going anywhere. What, what is this? And then by the, by the time it was wrapping up, I was like, oh, this is starting to make more sense to me i'm digging this now yeah it's like an hour and a half of the movie yeah it's most of the movie <laughs> yeah it actually could have been its own standalone movie yeah yeah it's really very could. long yeah well i mean the image of him getting painted with the japanese text yes is incredible really incredible uh and i i gotta say too like the sequences recounting the the civil war are amazing they're really well done yeah now apparently in Hearn's book he kind of glosses over the story of that battle. Yeah, he kind of just sort of uh, references it and doesn't go into much detail. There was a battle, and that was the there one. was a battle, and this guy's good at retelling the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kobayashi gets his hands on the text and is like, "Let's let's tell this entire story." And it's an impression of the battle. It's not like a certainly not a literal Saving Private Ryan <laughs> representation yeah, exactly. of the battle. Exactly right. <laughs> but it's but it is a beautiful painting of what that was and it's something to behold i loved it yeah i thought the second time that he told the story at the graveyard that that might have been the best sequence in the entire movie Mm -hmm. that shit is excellent the way that he cross cuts and uh you know the the uh, the ghosts sort of change their form Mm -hmm. and it's kind of this surrealist dreamscape yeah yeah. Uh, it's really good and it's really it, like the tension in that scene too is incredible and the slow deterioration of him that like, you can actually see it happening he's getting a little bit whiter almost every scene yes until finally he can't take it anymore and then they have to try to stop the ghost but then they rip his ears off and right but he keeps playing <laughs> i love that character i love i love, love that character. fucking hochi dude she's the man i feel so bad for him <laughs> no eyes no ears <laughs> terrible Tough. sometimes life might be a little easier that way <laughs> gotta be honest and let's not discount the first story too which yes. is again a very like simple fable of don't go back after a breakup man don't go back for seconds <laughs> when it's done it's done delete the number well, block you, her fucking number get the, rid of this woman you can read it that way or the message is you shouldn't have left her in the first place fair enough That's, but once you go you go <laughs> get out of dodge i tell people this all the time yes they always forget, oh shit, I didn't block her on Snapchat. Oh my god. She's not a bad woman. All of a sudden, Saturday at 11.30, ding! He's being punished for leaving a perfect wife. That was the point. That's you know? right, but you can't go back. That's true, you can't go back. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise the, the, the cattle jump down your throat. Yes. I mean I mean the hair. My, my bad. Yeah. That's all I could think. I was like, it's funny. that was the funniest thing about watching this. I was like, well, that kind of reminds me, just that little part of the cat story in Tales from the Dark Side. And then you get to the next one, I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> 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 yeah it's pretty nuts yeah. right yeah so her like hair comes to life and starts attacking him again the sound design back to the japanese and their fucking sound it's weird bro oh my god yeah the sound design in that scene in particular is, the is de- chilling the delay of like impact sounds mm-hmm. and again that blending of like is this m- music for the scene or is this just an artistic decision to sort of you know sort of 
emphasize this disconnect from reality, this this character's reality that he once knew. And you don't quite know in a very uncomfortable way that, oh, God, I loved it. Mm. It's so good. Yeah. The fourth story, which is uh, in a cup of tea. Interesting. I thought was fun. I, I liked the sequence where he's pouring the tea multiple times and keeps seeing the face. Like, I thought that actually was pretty good sort of comedy, physical comedy. Um, and the, the cutting was, was fun. And yeah. the last fight scene also really is like cool. an incredible display of very primitive special effects in 1964. Sure. Yeah. So I think there's like good parts of it. I also kind of felt like that story was the most ineffectual, but maybe by design. Well, it's not trying to do what the other ones did. Those ones are like genuine tellings of their own story, whereas like that one is like a breakdown and sort of a commentary on stories of that time. It's very meta. They even say like this is not really a story that we're just we want to we want to tell you that sometimes these stories that represent our culture didn't really have an ending. And we're not really sure what they were building up to, but they happened, so we need to address them. So it serves a purpose, just it's completely different from what the other three stories were, Right, fundamentally. Yeah, I I like the idea of like... Kobayashi inserting himself as as the narrator yeah <laughs> you know at the end kind of like M. Night Shyamalan does in old oh I see um, <laughs> you know but the idea that he is you know he's going to end his anthology of stories with without a proper ending yeah and kind of leave it out there and yeah that that moment where the old man is in the in the giant pot of water is cool it is yeah yeah, that one kind of just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's shorter than the rest of them. Very short. You know, it, it's it's also more modern than the rest of them. I mean, by that point, I, I, I don't know exactly how many centuries have passed in between all of these stories. But in that one, all the characters are skeptical of ghosts in the way that they're not in the other stories. Like everyone sort of accepts ghosts are a thing and you need to be leery of them. Mm-hmm. And in the, yeah, in the final one, it's kind of like this modern meta exercise. Yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, I think this it's, it's, it's frustrating because I think the story works better if it's the first topic they do, they just talk about it, but it's structured to be the ending one. It's even like somewhat thematically about being the ending story. Mm-hmm. Even though like, if you were to ask me, like if, if I were to have the same experience, just put that one at the beginning, I'd probably be more okay with it just as like a an excuse to talk about stories in a meta way mm-hmm. before getting into the real meat of it all i didn't dislike it i thought it left a sort of a really weird chilling ellipses at the end of this ghost story that usually is seen in these types of stories so it's not out of character it's just nowhere near as compelling as the other ones right i love a lot of these movies though dude you know what movie i love what it's called Cure. Mm. It's oh, from yeah. 1997. We're going to fast forward through the 70s and the 80s. It's directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. Yes. Referred to often as the David Cronenberg of Japan, one of the masters of the horror subgenre. A frustrated detective deals with the case of several gruesome murders committed by people who have no recollection of what they've done. So we're in the J-horror boom now. This is before Ringu. Ringu is like the J-horror movie. Yeah, yeah. It's the thing that popularizes the subgenre overseas. You know what it is, Doom? Huh. It's Doom. Uh, it's Doom. Right. Again, doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> but I'll, I'll go with it. I will it. never stop using that analogy. I'll it's, go with it. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, so what's Cure then? Cure comes before it. It would be Wolfenstein. This okay. would be Wolfenstein. So kind of the, the precursor. Yes. Uh, it's worth mentioning. So uh, Kyoshi Kurosawa, Takashi Miike, uh, Hedio Nakata are the 
next three directors that we're going to cover. Yes. Directed uh, Cure, Audition, and Ringu. And all of these directors in the early 90s, before they make their masterpieces in the late 90s, early 2000s, are working in this uh, subgenre called V-Cinema. They're sort of cutting their teeth with direct-to-video movies that were mostly just sold through video stores. They very rarely screened Mm. in proper theaters. And it's happening around the same time that Tarantino and Linklater and Soderbergh and Rodriguez are making a name for themselves over here. And it's kind of interesting, early 90s, the box office model in Japan is floundering. Uh, Studios are trying to figure out how the hell do we make money off of movies, and they had sort of seized upon video store culture and seized upon the sort of quick production cycles of these cheap little direct-to-video movies. What a weird way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) That's so different. Yeah, Uh, but it's interesting. A similar kind of revolution is happening over here as way, it is yeah. over there, right? Spiritually, in a way, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. the independent boom is very similar to what's mm-hmm, happening mm-hmm. over there. These things are fucking cheap, and yeah. I, I think, like, Takashi Miike was making, like, three a year. Dude, that guy has so... Have you looked at that guy's filmography? I, I looked at his IMDb before fucking today. insane yeah. how many movies that, th- that guy has made. Right, it's crazy. It's and, like a guy from the 50s making movies. It's crazy. Right, but... There wasn't a ton of censorship in these things because they weren't screened in theaters, yeah. and uh, there wasn't a ton of oversight because they're like, just get as many of these things as you can, <laughs> as you can get done yeah. in a year. So Takashi Miike would make like five a year, and he would experiment and play around with ideas. And so by the time you know the uh, V cinema boom had sort of subsided, and uh, more theatrical movies were were being made, and also succeeding overseas, these guys had gotten in all their reps, and they were fucking ready. And you um, see it with their movies. Right. Two in particular. Two in particular where it's like this guy, like say what you want about like like the content of the movies, but you, this guy knows how to make a fucking film. Yes. And it's this one is like like I think a good blending of the gap with us. This is, I would assume this is probably going to be your favorite of the three, you know. By far and away. Yeah, and I could tell by watching it. It's like just amazing, incredible craft like nothing else that's it's kind of seven it's a little bit it's a lot it's of, very much a lot so. of seven very much so. mostly yes. uh but it's japan's seven yes and my god is this thing just the shit if you like seven it's if you like just, memories of murder if you oh, like yeah. zodiac this is this is your movie and it to me this is scary to me this movie oh, is my god. very scary yeah, oh yeah there, there's something so wrong here and it's like in a good way i'm like i'm watching the scene and nothing's happening but so much is happening and i'm afraid of like a guy just doing that. Right. I'm waiting for the repetition to happen because I'm starting to, as I, as I watch, I'm watching the movie and I'm starting to realize what's actually going on here. And I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid of the, the setting. <laughs> That's very weird, man. It's a that, very hard movie to like hang out in. It's hard to describe to people though. The, it's like telling people like it's move. It's yeah, hard to hang out at, out in because the, because <laughs> the environment is deadly. It's suffocating. It's yeah. going to be used against the characters in the most unexpected ways. And it's suffocating. Exactly. Right. And then you just extend that to like the murders themselves, the guy who's, you know, Charles Mansoning this whole thing. That yes. that character is just that actor is incredible. Holy shit. Let me actually good. get that guy's name. Bo- both of the leads in this movie are really fucking good. Uh, Koji Yakashu plays Takabi, who is the, the lead investigator mm-hmm. of this case. And then the villain is played by Masato Hagawara. Uh, he plays a character named uh, Mayama. Mayaya. Mayama. Mayama. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and yeah, that they're both incredible. But um, yes, the 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 energy that the younger guy infuses into this movie in every fucking scene. Yep. Watching those two, I, I mean, uh... maybe my favorite scene in the movie is when he's in the cell and is being sort of interrogated by the main cop. And if you just want to see like a masterclass in filmmaking and blocking and where oh to put God, the camera, blocking. yeah, yeah, and and how to sort of convey that one character has gained power over the mm-hmm. other just by moving them in the physical space. It was reminding me of, funny enough, I just mentioned Charles Manson, but it reminded me of the Andrew Dominic's Charles Manson scene in um, um, uh, Mindhunter. In to, Mindhunter, to a right? Degree, yeah, right. Yeah. And, well, yes. Also, it the way that the sound of the washing machine, yeah, 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 is just it's <laughs> there's this light hum mm-hmm. in, in the background, and in that movie, like you can kind of hear, or in the the show in Mindhunter in that episode, during that interrogation, there's the the faint sound of screaming in the background. In the background, yeah. yeah the, there there was a video essay. I, I watched this thing on Criterion, the Criterion Channel, which is how I recommend you watch all of these movies if you get a chance to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a video essay by this guy Alexander Felipe and he um, you know makes the argument essentially that the movie itself is hypnotizing us much like the characters of the movie are getting hypnotized Mm -hmm. and it's a movie about control and how it's so hard to find your footing uh, in this film much like the characters themselves well because in those scenes too yeah especially like you I don't think we're we're never sympathetic with the killer obviously but when so when we watch a scene like that we just want to interrogate the character ourselves but every time we try to he just gets up and walks away turns away while trying to get something out of us never is not asking a question mm-hmm. and that's the really scary thing and I, the other thing it's like you're because you want to have control out of him you want him to give his own answers but it's it's just another question he always he's always able to manipulate the conversation into another question about you always turning the knife back towards you it's really 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 clever the script by the way yeah i mean the, the, again a beautiful marriage of script and and just really great craft here and i love for, for exactly that scene it's it's one of the best scenes of the movie for that reason yeah, yeah. well the idea that like uh, a lighter is his murder weapon, mm-hmm. you know, and any moment he can employ it. A glass just... of water is his murder weapon at Ex- one point. Exactly. <laughs> God, the fucking, the water, the water seeping into the drain it's in so the hospital good, sequence. Dude. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's so good. Yeah. There's just a million shots like that. But yeah, there's, there's something off with this movie from the moment it begins. Yep. Like, cause it begins kind of with this, the soundtrack is kind of like upbeat and there's a guy just like going home after a long day's work and he's just going on his afternoon walk and he gets to a hotel room. And again, the music, it just again, it's this it's this upbeat kind of, you know, and and for a while that I'm watching the movie, I'm like, this is a horror movie. It was the same experience I had with almost every single movie on this list. Yep. It's like I'm I'm watching a horror movie. Why did Adam assign this? They don't play that way, though. Yeah, and then he begins just fucking beating a woman with a pipe as the as the music is blaring. Yep. Uh, the whole movie is that. The whole movie is like there's something off with the tone, mm-hmm. and there's these radical tonal shifts. Oh yeah. Sometimes within a single scene, they they baffle you. You know, they do. They just disorient you, mm-hmm. and that's this entire movie. This entire movie is is you playing catch up. It's trying to figure out the editing structure. It's <laughs> trying to figure out the reality. Is this a dream? Is this not a dream? Is this what the character actually believes? Is yep. this the actual killer? Yeah, um, yeah. And details, the sort of the procedural elements, the clues that the investigators find, 
are presented in these very matter of fact ways. Like uh, th- there's a scene towards the end of the movie where our main character gets a, an important phone call that someone has just been killed and he gets it in, in the back of a car yeah. uh, and he accepts the, the, the cell phone call and it's just sort of cast off as a detail and even the murders themselves are very matter of fact yes the police station shooting is so matter of fact Mm -hmm. so it's like the evil is always lurking outside the frame you can never like get your hands around it you can never grab onto it that's the theme of the movie though right yeah you know where you never you never quite know what to do with it it's it's that you know that halloween notion where it's like the evil is always going to get away from you this one just uses it in such a different different way in a very very psychological manner Mm. i i love that though it's a movie where you can't quite find your footing in the perfect way which is a criticism i have towards movies frequently i I didn't like it because i couldn't find my footing on what it really was and this whole movie weaponizes that idea to really make you as uncomfortable as humanly possible mm-hmm. and it's just a it's an incredibly bleak 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 movie though mm. is the one thing like to warn anyone going in it's just the <laughs> most unhappy ending you could like again it's an incredible ending like, it is the kind of ending i love but oh yeah like I, yes i would not recommend it to anyone well i joked to you prior to recording it's like hey they did the sopranos ending before the Sopranos. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> yeah. it's basically what it is i actually way. thought of the invitation I thought of like how you know how sometimes like a horror movie will end with this suggestion that there's something greater going oh, on. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. this disease, that the it's, disease inside the heart of man that you thought was confined to this one character has actually gotten far beyond your control. Sprawling and this, it makes sense that when you go back in reflections, like oh yeah, it was like a hospital, it was a school, like these. This should extend to a lot of people, right? Isn't it? And that's a horrifying idea. How that you never really know what's coming and you can't control it. Yes, right. <laughs> This, there is no cure. <laughs> it's weird. No, yeah, there exactly. There's no cure whatsoever. Yeah. When talking about like when the way like the the murders are cast aside, like the movie can trick you into focusing on the wrong details too. There's a scene where one of the cops draws an X on his wall. So uh, essentially, all the victims in this movie, they have nothing in common in terms of like. Uh, who they know, who their family is, who they associate with. And the killers have nothing in common either, except all of the victims have an X etched into their chest. Yep. Um, so that's how they know the, the signature of a serial killer, even though that all these different people are committing the crime. So there's one scene where it's, it is suggested that one of the cops has fallen prey to the mastermind's tricks. Yeah. And the X was not immediately clear to me. And I think... The way that he frames it, because, again, these takes are really long. Like Kurosawa very rarely cuts. And it's also like mostly in wide. Mm -hmm. It's it's not trying to deceive you on an editing level or a filmmaking level. But I just didn't fucking see the X. (laughs) And it was just there. I must have been staring at it for 30 seconds and I didn't realize it was there until the characters saw it. Yep. The movie's just filled with details like that. Yep. You're always looking at the wrong thing. (laughs) And, And that is like brilliant case of misdirection that's incredible like like that's that's magic that is literally magic that is the magic of filmmaking and like a great magician i don't know how the fuck david copperfield did it i don't know how the hell kurosawa does it here no i had this exact same feeling i was like i don't know how he's he's orchestrating this so well and playing me in this way it's very rare nowadays that i see that i'm able to you know borrow that hitchcock quote where it's like you know they, they, where a director's able to play you like a fiddle, and that's mm-hmm. very much the case here. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, boy, it's a movie that makes me want to go back and rewatch because I'm like, okay, because obviously he's slipping in little things to get these guys 
going and to, you know, give them those visions of like the wife being hanged and stuff like that. I'm like, where did he slip that in? It's mm-hmm. a t- ton of stuff like that. It's it's a movie that scares you on reflection. Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, cause. Right. Yeah. Feel, it's, it's scarier the further you get away from it. That's yeah, a good way of putting it. Yeah. You feel like a victim because so much was lost on you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's like, oh my God, they, they, they one up to me. I yeah. was fooled. Yeah. Uh, Bong Joon-ho referenced this as one of his favorite movies of all time. Makes total sense. Yep. Makes absolute total sense. And yeah, it is, uh, it's the kind of movie that I watch and I'm like, America, what are we doing? You know? know. What are we doing over here? (laughs) Why do we have so few filmmakers that can make movies like this? We have no filmmakers really that are making movies like this anymore. 1998's Ringu. Ringu. Not Ragu or Ringo or (laughs) any other, uh, beetle or pasta sauce you might mistake the title of this movie for it is ringu directed by hideo nakata a reporter and her ex-husband investigate a cursed videotape that is rumored to kill the viewer seven days after watching it as i mentioned before it is the j horror film begins the boom here stateside there were several american remakes of this movie there was a remake and a sequel that's right. Um, a couple sequels. And it is the modern telling of that, as we mentioned before, the Yuri archetype of the woman scorned coming back yes. for her revenge. I, I think about the long hair in the uh, Kaidan story. It is obviously um, an, an influence in this movie. And it is a movie that, again, I, I was expecting one thing coming into it. And it subverted my expectation by the end. You know, the opening of this movie, it opens like Scream. You know, it opens like so many slashers that you've seen before. Yeah, that's right. Of a couple teenage girls hanging out and one of them gets killed. And I think I was expecting a slasher for the rest of it. And it it wasn't that at all. It was like Cure, another police procedural, essentially, yeah. about a journalist trying to get to the bottom of this story. And... You know, it came out around the same time as the Blair Witch Project in the United States. And both of those movies kind of revitalized this approach to horror. Yeah. Right? The idea that the horror is something off screen. It's not explicit. Yeah, exactly. And 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 playing on very simple fears that we're all familiar with or like using something that you're familiar with and making it scary like a phone call or like a television and not being something that it, it it feels like it was a conscious choice to make this something that wasn't like a turn off to audiences because it's not as difficult as cure i mean not even close it really is just kind of like a effectively chilling in many parts but it, it but it is you could you can sense like oh yeah this is more this is an easier watch this is something that was more direct populist entertainment than something like cure is trying to be for mm-hmm. sure yeah uh works in that way though in my opinion but i, I can I'm, I'm not surprised that it's uh it, it wasn't what you expected because the Funny thing is, you can make the argument the remake is scarier. <laughs> so that's what I was going to ask you yeah. about. So, like, the girl doesn't show up till very late. Yes. And she only shows up for one scene, really. And the rest of it is do- is just tension. Now, they kind of play around with, you know, stingers and, you know, traditional sort of jump scare music. Reflection uh, shots cues. is a big thing. Yeah. yeah um, right. There's that one shot in the mirror. But those stingers don't always accompany jump scares. They don't always accompany horrifying images. It's mostly just diegetic music. It's, it's very devoid of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's tension, but there's, again, as you said, there's not really, there's not really scares. 
is that true of the Gore Verbinski movie? Because my take is that that one has more of the girl. It has, uh, yeah, a little bit more, not that much more. At times, it's it it feels like a shot for shot remake. Okay, in many respects, there's a, I don't, I'm trying to remember. I think there's a few like like changes with like how a character is maneuvered in certain scenes. The endings is a lot different, sort of the same, sort of different, but like. Uh, but as far as like the the sound cues and all that other stuff, it's more obviously American. There are more stingers. It's it's much more in your face. Yes. Yeah. It feels American. It doesn't. It's feel just because I've seen I've seen so much of that girl. Like that girl. Like growing up too. Like I I didn't watch horror movies when I was in elementary school, middle school, but I had a lot of friends that did. And the image of that girl coming through the TV in the VHS era when we were growing up was huge. Yep. And it's just it's crazy to me that she's in so little of the movie there's really only one shot of the eyeball that sticks with you um other than that though it's 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 a pretty straight down the middle procedural yeah yeah it's an investigative thriller kind of a movie you know it's not that scary a lot of the time i mean it's it it, it can get creepy i think that the scene where she finally reveals herself is pretty pretty, yes pretty and the scene in the well too oh yeah, yeah 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 which again the scene in the well is is pretty similar in the remake too it's it's a little more it's just as touching and weird and i don't really view that one as as uh quite as uh it's it's a similar level of scary honestly but i think the remake in my opinion actually does a little bit more with the mood and the atmosphere and there's a little more urgency in that one you know it's faster and it's it's very you know there's a borny element to it like jason Bourne, which is very weird (laughs) but um it's like we got to get this done right Um, right right you know, but but it plays similarly. But it, the funny, funny enough, though, it's actually more violent, and it's and the the horrifying imagery is a little more disturbing. Like I said earlier on, the faces when it's sort of like a, a, a an iconic thing about the movie, along with the tape and the girl herself. But like what people look like after they're affected by her, when you see it in the remake, it's it's some of the scariest imagery you've ever seen. Yeah, I'm not sure that movie. I mean, there's a Again, it's there's a level of disposability to that remake still, just because it's of Americanized it, and it's yeah. you know the early two thousands too, like just because of what it is. Yeah, but it's but it's a but there's a firm. I mean, it's yeah, I like Gore Verbinski as a film. He he knows what he's doing. Mm. Um, and that yeah, that's a pretty well helmed adaptation. I I think of of the American remakes, it's pro- possibly the best. So here's the deal. I just wouldn't watch this tape. Ah. If I learned that like there was a haunted tape going around and you die a week after watching it, but dude, and there's like a creepy girl in it, you gotta watch the tape. But I would not. I think maybe that's the difference between you and me. <laughs> like this movie is such a non-starter for me because I just don't buy that anyone would watch this tape. Oh, I don't. I don't. I completely disagree. Because that, I've been yeah. told, you know, there's there's always these like it's like you know saying Bloody Mary in the mirror three oh, times. I love that shit though. I dude. Yeah. I've never done it. You've never and, done it. No, I but, listen, and I don't believe any of that really. No, no, no. But but it still freaks you out. Like yeah, but, but like what's but the what, upside? Yeah, like but, <laughs> you know, like what am I gaining from? This. It's to say you have balls, Nico. What are you yellow? Yeah, exa- what are you yellow? Exactly. <laughs> that's what it. That's exactly what it is. I've though. never watched the tape. I've never done it. It is the classic children's. Like, there's really no point to it. It's just to prove that you can do it. Right. Yeah. What are you chicken? You yes. You don't want. You don't want to jump off the cliff into the water. Never done a what Ouija board. Yeah. Never done it. Yep. Never done any of that shit. I ain't messing around because you never know. Exactly. You never fucking know. That's, you know what I mean? That's why it works to me. 
I love that idea. That pl- plays on that that weird, stupid urge that we have as people. <laughs> it doesn't really make sense, but it's kind of compelling that we do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and they're always going to. That's the point. It's like, even though suspiciously people are dying, eh, maybe it's all bullshit. Maybe right. it's all coincidence. Well, it is kind of this this commentary on technology, too. Yes, it is. And I another thing, I expected this movie to feel a little dated because it's of the VHS era. And I'm sure there are people listening to this podcast that have never even watched the VHS tape. You know, like that's how long it's been. But this idea that technology spreads like a virus is uh, is not as dated as you would think. No. And that's essentially what the, the ending of this movie implies, yes, right? exactly. Um, that the only way to survive it is to share it with other people. It's got that it follows quality to the end, yes. interestingly enough. Right. Yeah. And that, it, I think, in a weird way, is, is kind of relevant to the social media age. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that you have to look. I think it's also interesting that this is a home video yes. that the characters are watching, yeah. right? This is someone's personal life. This is a, a trauma that we watch for entertainment. The main character in this movie is a journalist. Yeah. So the yeah. idea that uh, of an, an, an intrusive media um, and the idea of watching someone else's tape, that's that's invasive. That is inherently evil. That's a that's an evil urge that we have, the, the nosiness that we have. That's why they're punished. Right. Yeah, you're punished for, for, for you know, taking in so much of it as it is. For not minding your own fucking business. That's true, yeah. You know? <laughs> Mind your own business. My takeaway, though, more than anything, it's like, it's it's somewhat implied that once you turn it on, you can't stop watching it. It's not explicitly stated, but that seems to be the vibe. Yes. But let's say that's not the vibe. Let's say or the, that's not the intention. Let's say they're just watching it because they just want to watch the whole thing. Because I like this video. That That video is just the weirdest shit yes i mean it's freaky as fuck right i love it it's like perfect for like a horrifying you're gonna die in seven days video (laughs) it's the perfect it is exactly the kind of video i expected it to be exactly it does what it says on the cover you know what i mean like (laughs) there's no false advertising here it's like that is exactly the video i would watch a week before i was killed by a demon (laughs) it is one step above david lynch that's what that's what we got exactly right (laughs) david lynch is is almost there. <laughs> His last gift to us is going to be the fucking ring tape. <laughs> and yeah, I get. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'd I'd, I'd be very dead after that too. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it, but that's what I'm saying. It's like if I see even like five seconds, I'm like, no, right. no, right, no, and I shut that shit off immediately. <laughs> I'm never putting it on. I'm burning that thing with fire. Or I'm giving it to you, probably. You know I'm saying? You, Just watch it. I bet you you throw that thing in a fire, it doesn't get destroyed. It's mm, one of those tapes. Right. So I just got to give it to you. That's what I would do. Trust me. This one's, this one's a winner. Mm. <laughs> Good movie. I think it's probably my least favorite. You know, funny enough, I think I agree with you on that one. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a very good movie. But yeah, it's it, it has, in my opinion, the least amount to offer the experience is very straightforward and simple the ideas are obvious to me it's and it, i mean it just works as a nice little popular bit of entertainment just about as scary as the the remake too if if anyone's they're they're very even for me i think yeah. they're both pretty good maybe it's reputation but, kind of preceded it for me sure yeah yeah you know it's, yeah, I mean, I, but the thing, even Pulse, though, we're talking about more J-horrors, like, that's not the kind of horror you would expect either. Yeah. And it's not as scary quite as you, as consistently scary as most, like, American movies try to be in, like, that obnoxious boo gotcha kind of way. They're just not interested in that. Right. And that's the case with the next movie.
1999. It's a movie called Audition. And this is really why I wanted to do the podcast. <laughs> a movie you've been wanting uh, me to watch for a while. You've been trying to get me to do Ta- this. One of Tarantino's favorite movies. Uh, yeah, Tarantino, I think, named it one of his 20 favorite movies of the last uh, 20 years or something. I mean, no real surprise. No. <laughs> no real surprise that Tarantino and Eli Roth love this movie. Because like it's the it's the opposite of cure, right? Like the horror is it's right there. Yep. It's right there for you. And, and that's sort of like the revelatory shit that uh, that Tarantino loves. Uh, yeah, it's directed by Takashi Miike. A widower takes an offer to screen girls at a special audition arranged for him by a friend to find him a new wife. <laughs> the one he fancies is not who she appears to be after all. <laughs> that's uh vague <laughs> that's a nice way of putting it she's not quite who she appears to be she's a. Uh, she works at a pet store she's not actually a lawyer right <laughs> uh another just uh dark hair spindly vengeful woman you know oh yeah it's not specifically about the vengeful women mm. uh some people call this a revenge movie and i just don't see it that way i've never quite s- read it that well, way isn't well, listen, I guess most horror movies are revenge movies for the bad guys, right? Yeah. So if you view it from her point of view, I guess it's a revenge movie. Sure. But she is certainly not heroic, this character. No, no. But but I mean, she's a victim. In a way, yeah. In a movie, as is the guy. I mean, it's a movie ab- about the horror associated with not being able to move on. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, how that you can either go one way with it and find a method of like, you know, accepting the pain that's happened to you and carry on anyway. But then the movie's smart to be like, yeah, even even if you do that, it doesn't necessarily guarantee, you know, a fine existence. And then there's the other end of the coin where it's like you just don't move on and then you become something ugly. Yes. In the case of this character. Yeah, it's um, it operates kind of like a ghost story in that way. It's like a little it's, bit, yeah. it's the woman that sort of lingers around the her house for too long waiting for her husband to return, right? It's this idea of not being able to let the past go, right? This is I think the only movie on the list that doesn't really have a supernatural bent to it. No. But it 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 does operate in that same way, right? Like the demons of the past are the villain of the Exactly. Movie. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Uh, and approaches that in a, in a variety of very interesting ways that doesn't give you any firm answers to certainly by the end. Like you're not sure if I mean, I'm not gonna, I mean, I guess everyone knows what happens at the end of the movie. Do they? I didn't know. Really? Well, oh, one of the most iconic yeah. horror endings ever. Well, yeah, obviously I knew it was a horror movie because here's the thing. This movie is not a horror movie for an hour. No, it, it is a straight like uh, romance melodrama. I love Takashi Miike's handling of tone, by the way. Like especially in the audition scenes themselves, yes, which are so it's like it feels like a Soderbergh movie to me. Well, here's the thing: it's like <laughs> how many times have you seen the audition sequence, the audition montage in mm-hmm. movies before? Like we just saw it in Clerks Three last year, right? Yeah. Like, oh my and god! And it is the laziest form of filmmaking: the idea that you can just put a bunch of weirdos on screen, quick cut it in succession, and get a bunch of cheap laughs out of it. This thing is lovely, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's so energetic and fun. This <laughs> movie, though, well. Mike makes you confront uh-huh. how objectifying those things are. Oh my god, are, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and and he presents it as, you know, a pretty conventional audition sequence. Next, 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 and we just cycle through all these beautiful women. There's a little bit of nudity, there's sex in there, there are some really cheap laughs. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie he makes you confront just like how predatory the auditioners were, the people t- holding the auditions, 
and us for watching the whole thing. Yeah. And how sort of inherently predatory Hollywood is. You know, it's it was a very early exploration of Weinstein's casting couch, the In idea way, of the Hollywood yeah. casting couch. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like it is presented as a pretty straightforward rom-com for an hour. And, <laughs> and then it but it <laughs> but it makes you it makes you think about how kind of pernicious that genre is and the ideas underneath that genre are, mm-hmm. you know, there's a l- level of like, I should feel bad for liking a lot of this stuff to begin with in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, <laughs> but, th- but anyway, there's a, then there's a tonal shift. There's a s- dramatic tonal shift for the last like 15 minutes of the movie. Well, and it's kind of been building towards it. Well, no, there, there's a lot of suggestions prior to that, that it's, it's going to be pretty horrifying and that there's something really terrible. Something's wrong. Here. Something's very, very, very wrong. I mean, I, the first time I ever heard about this movie was on like a TV. It was like a program about like the scariest movie moments ever. Mm. And it wasn't pointing to the finale. It was actually the scene where she's just sleeping by her phone in that hunched over. Oh my God. Which is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's waiting for the phone call. It is the scariest image. Yes. You've ever seen in your life. Yes. And then it doubles down on that when the phone does ring. Right. And she turns towards the camera, gives a little smile. Yeah. There's... Like I, I just caught my bait. All right. I caught my fish. And there's a fucking bag in the background that's just been sitting idly. We don't know. We... Santa's like a sack of presents. We don't know. It just looks like nothing to us. Right. And then it rolls because right. there's a dude inside. Well, can you even call him a dude? <laughs> Nope, not no, really. Not really. <laughs> that is the scariest shit, dude. Oh my god, is it frightening? <sighs> yeah, you're 100 right. Yeah, that is the scariest moment in the movie. But that happens, and then we kind of forget about it in a way. Yeah, because then they share a romantic uh, weekend together, and it's nice. I mean, there's there's something wrong. There's something clearly wrong with this girl. It's like, what the hell? What was that about? And right. why is there there's something definitely wrong about this but, girl? But the movie continues on, and then it becomes again kind of a procedural. It becomes like the man tracks down the woman who he doesn't have the number of doesn't know what you know where she lives anything about her history and she slowly learns about her kind of like vertigo yeah you know and for the, for the record like the guy in this is like there's a little bit of a predatory nature with the audition things but he's not like a terrible guy he's kind of just along for the ride like he, he he's his, made a lot he's a widow he wants to find a new wife and he he's, he believes that this is the easiest way at achieving that goal and it's kind of put upon him yeah yeah exactly he, he, he's made a lot of mistakes clearly like you can tell there's a lot of past trauma with him again like i said before trying to get past his wife there are flashes with his wife coming into the screen he has to put the the picture down there's the secretary where it's like i did this once and but it was a bad idea and i'm now I'm, i've kind of pushed it aside and stuff like that yes there's an element of like you know i've used women but i i, I don't want to think about that i just want to keep moving forward but that creates more horror Mm -hmm. uh until he's finally faced with like the consequences of that that lifestyle at the very end but uh you 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 understand how he could have gone down that path he's not like i don't hate this guy i really don't Mm -hmm. in some ways i feel for him you know despite despite sometimes his like disposable treatment towards women in certain areas Mm -hmm. uh it's the worst thing about him and that's why he you know gets what he deserves well he doesn't really no he doesn't deserve deserve it it at all but that's why that's why the the terrible things uh befall him right but again i i I just love the fact that this movie doesn't really pull punches it's also smart to to, to, you don't say (laughs) 
but it's smart to criticize her in the same way too. Yeah. It's like she's been through a lot of trauma, but she's she hasn't been willing or, or maybe not strong enough to try to get past that to better herself. She's because a psychopath. She's a, a psychopath. Yeah, she's a you psychopath. Know, wasn't always a psychopath, no. I'm sure, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Words create lies. Pain can be trusted, Adam. Yeah. This scene. Oh. Uh, fuck you, first of all. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know what you were going through when watching this. Fuck you. What? I mean, listen, I knew it was coming, so I was bracing myself. You didn't know what actually happens in the end? No. Whoa. I, I didn't know the specific details. Oh, my God. I had but no idea. I figured <laughs> that there was some sort of torture porn element. It's such a Tarantino it. ending. It's such a Tarantino it, it ending. It is, yeah. I mean, when I, when I, when I watch, I, it's not the point of the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like... There's a little bit of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When, when he was making that, I was like, I have to think that he was thinking of Audition a little bit. Yes. Just a little bit. Right. Especially with like how different the rest of the movie is well, to that I, finale. I, I, from Dust Till Dawn. Is yeah, that? certainly. Certainly. Right. And yeah, again, of course Tarantino loves this thing. Um, but I, again, I didn't know the grisly details. And this is, <laughs> oh boy, this is obviously a major influence in the, in the torture porn era that succeeds it in, in Hollywood with Saw and whatnot. One of the most incredible subversions I've ever seen in a movie is this ending. But, man, that poor foot. I was wondering what was going to be the worst for you. Is it the eye, like right, the needle right below the eye? Well, you don't really it... see that. Yeah, not not that much. The, the, no, the, the foot's the, the foot. worst. Yeah, It's worse for me because of the sound. Let's talk about the sound design. Oh, now. my God. The Japanese and their sound design. Ugh, it's it, the, the, the fucking... The sauce. Oh my god, it's so horrible. That wasn't the worst for me. What the was? worst for me is the dream sequence before with <laughs> the guy in the bag, mm-hmm. uh, sans fingers and tongue and a few toes. Actually, both feet, isn't it? Feet. <laughs> sans toes. Yeah, I mean, that's the least of his problems. Ah, uh, drinking vomit. It's pretty bad. The squishing of the vomit. <laughs> yeah, fuck that shit. Didn't like that, did you? Didn't like it. Didn't care for it. Didn't enjoy. No, no, yeah. Did not enjoy. Because <laughs> it's not even fu- like like Itchy the Killer is a movie that where the violence is to me is hilarious. Uh, it is. I, I think if you want more of the the unbridled Takashi Miike experience, maybe Itchy the Killer is more for you. And we sure. did a podcast about yep. that on on the other show. Yeah, very two years ago. I really like that movie, but they're very very different, and their use of violence is com- completely different, in my opinion. Yes, uh, because this is one where every ounce of the the horror and the violence is just unforgettable, and you feel every little bit of it. I can taste that vomit, Nico. <laughs> God damn it! It's so terrible, dude. It's. Uh, but it works. <laughs> it, it does the job. Gets the job done. Uh, um, it's a it's a really good movie. It's a, I, I I love this movie. It's really well made. I totally understand why everyone that loves it loves it. It makes perfect sense. Might you know? be my might be my favorite movie on the list. Possibly, uh, possibly. can't get there. I don't blame you, but <laughs> can't don't you... get there. <laughs> this movie's so. But I'm happy for everyone that loves it that this exists. You know, I'm happy for you all. It's a it's a brilliant little little movie that uh, will will kick your ass once it's all over. The, the scene where he's crying and you're like, okay, like, like thinking about why he's crying. Is he regretting the fact that he ever went through this, or is he actually upset that she's dead? That's one of those thoughts right. I had. Is like, is he sad that he did this to her? Right. He did this to another girl. Yeah, yeah. Her it's, monologue at the end is really good. It's so good. 
Kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> In my nightmares. Mm. Mm. Good stuff. I'm also happy. Well, I don't want to really spoil. <laughs> oh, no. But they, they almost pull the it was just a dream card. They all I, I, I when I first saw this, I almost shut the movie. off. I, yeah, I'm fucking sick. I can't do this. And then exactly. It's like when your mind is is trying to, you know, the fighter fight or flight survival mode. You, you, you imagine this uh, moment where it's like, OK, I'm out of here and everything's OK. And then. Right. No, no. Yeah. You're stuck there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that sometimes. Like. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. The whole trope of it was always just a dream. It It's usually you're imagining bad things and it turns out that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And I find that when I'm dreaming or when I'm just sort of uh, imagining things or like sort of gaming out my life or just mm-hmm. daydreaming, looking yeah. at the stars, it's usually in reverse. It's usually that I imagine that something is good and it turns out that it's bad. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I very yeah. rarely wake up from nightmares I but I and and feel a sense of relief, but I often wake up from good dreams and feel a sense of disappointment. Ah, and that's what this movie plays around yeah, with exactly. in the last ten or fifteen I minutes. Know, I know, you I know, know. Um, it's, it's a great device. Yeah, usually it is the reverse, and and uh, very few movies use that methodology, and it scares the shit out of you. But man, it works. It works so well. Such an interesting movie. I love that little detail, like again with Takashi Miike's sense of tone, where <laughs> the sun comes in and she just sprays the little bottle, and you can't help but laugh a little bit. Yes. Oh, right. There's there's a sick twisted sense exactly. of humor underneath all of this. Yeah. <laughs> there's little touches like that throughout, and yeah, uh, it you know he's, hasn't he been called the Tarantino of Japan? Um, it makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Tarantino has actually cameoed in some of his movies. Really? Yeah. That's funny. Tarantino loves this fucking guy, but this dude is just. I think he's in his 70s now. Still churning him out. I know. He did three movies in 2021. I'm looking at that now. He did a miniseries last year. Oh, my God. He's doing TV episodes. He's doing, like, adaptations of anime, it looks like. That guy does not stop. Doesn't stop. Takashi Miike. I like his movies. I do. I do. This is my favorite. All right. Um, Let's pick one of these to get into the Movie Hall of Fame. <laughs> Well, you liked all of them. I I did like all of them. Yeah, five for five. I did. I think you did pretty good here. How often does that happen? I I had a much better time than I thought I would mm-hmm. with with these five. There is a lot to take away from this. It's not just a oh that that grossed me out or that scared me. No, they're they're they they can be gross and they are some of them are quite scary. But I think they're much more interesting works of art than simply that. Yeah, than your average American slasher. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm having a tough time here narrowing this down. I, I again, I, I as I told you before, I think Ring is my least favorite. Yeah, funny enough, I, I I really like it, but I think it it's it might be my least favorite too, just because it's the I took the least amount away from it. Yeah, even though like it's an incredibly important movie yeah. for the genre, mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't know, I don't know, and it's perhaps the most iconic, right? Ring and well, the two most iconic are Ring and Audition, by all accounts. I want to cross out Ring. That's fine. And I want to cross out Onibaba. Although, again, that's oh. like the first Japanese horror movie, really. I love Onibaba. Yeah, it's that movie is... I, I really love that movie. I, now, that's the thing. It's like I love Onibaba just about as much as I love Audition. Okay, pick one, though. Onibaba or Kaidan? Oh, fuck. Man, Kaidan's good. Kaidan's fucking good. You know what? I, I think I was a little more moved by Onibaba, though. Just a little bit more moved. But you could argue Kaidan's a better movie. That's the thing. It might be a better movie, but... 
God, I would have picked Kaidan. I don't know that. That to me is a more impressive. It is a work more. of cinema. So that's my own. That would be the only. Yeah, the only tiebreaker there. The only thing I would say is like, despite the black and white with Onibaba, like that it's it is there is a timeless feel to Onibaba to me. That's maybe not quite there with Kaidan, but I don't. I personally don't care about that. So I guess what does it matter? So you would go Onibaba. Um, for the '60s movies, personally, and yeah. you would go audition for the '90s movies if you had to pick one of the three. Because my selection would be Kaidan for the '60s movies and Cure for the '90s movies. Yeah, Cure's fucking amazing. Cure is an amazing movie. Yeah. Audition on you know I rewatched rewatching audition I'm like yeah, this is fucking good too. It's really good, Nico. It's really good. I don't know. Okay, let's do this. Okay, I'll put it this way though. I'm not heartbroken. Really, wherever this goes, this is one of those cool instances where it's like, I don't know, but that's the thing. I don't know. I'm having trouble here. Here's what we're going to do. We did this, I believe, in the first episode of this podcast. Oh, we went back and forth and we crossed off a movie (laughs) and the last one standing got into the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Oh, no. But that led to the fucking princess brought. Sure did. (laughs) One of the biggest mistakes in the history of this podcast. We didn't induct RoboCop, dude. (laughs) How do you do? <laughs> uh. Siri, flip a coin. Call it heads or tails. Heads. Heads. You want to go first or second? Second. Okay. Uh, I will cross out ring. Okay. And in that case, I will cross out Kaidan. Jesus. I I loved. I I know. Uh, I loved it though. I'm gonna regret that. I will cross out audition. Okay. Onibaba and Cure. That is your decision. It's Cure. Congratulations. It's Cure. Cure. It's cure. <laughs> Kanishi Kurosawa, the Cronenberg of horror in the movie Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I like that choice. Okay. I'm oh, very okay with that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's my favorite movie of the five, yeah, it's, so it's I'm, a, I'm good with that. It's a phenomenal movie. It could be the best movie on the list. Yeah. All right. There you go. It's a selection of mostly... There's a couple masterpieces on this list. That's very rare. It is. I loved... I, I Yeah, that's. I love all of them to death with the exception of Ring, but even that movie to me is very, very, very good. I like it a lot. So, hell yeah. All right. What do you got for me? I, I guess I guess I went easy on you, technically. <laughs> you did. I, now you're going to... I will show you no mercy. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do, It is guys. now time for me to reveal Adam's end of the bargain. Okay. Adam, when you were growing up watching slasher movies and Friday the 13th and... Uh, Torture porn and you know Solo, Five Hundred Days of Sodom. <sighs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whatever you were watching when you were ten. So this means you're gonna do Woody Allen Part Two. Is that what's that, that's what's happening? Oh, I, I should do that. <laughs> that was not my idea. Uh, I was uh, I was having the childhood of a normal child. Veggie Tales. <laughs> <laughs> These are all better ideas. Than <laughs> I was watching Nickelodeon, oh no, the Children's Network, and uh, Nickelodeon had a a movie label. Paramount Pictures, I believe, in 1996, formed Nickelodeon Movies, 
Mm-hmm. And there were many of them. Some of them inspired by television shows on the Nickelodeon channel. Is that what you're doing? Others inspired shows of their own. I'm going to make you watch five Nickelodeon movies. <laughs> no. And you and I are going to relive my childhood. Good uh, Burger. Rob oh, Rats in Paris, oh, the movie. Shit, I fucking hate Jimmy that. Neutron, Boy Genius. SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie. And I'll let you off easy. We'll go Rango for the fifth one. We'll do Gore Verbinski's Rango for is, number five. Is that a Nickelodeon movie? Sure is. Okay. Those are your five. Whoa. Enjoy, my friend. Enjoy. Uh, fuck. You and I are going to relive the early 2000s together. Oh, I fucking hate Good Burger. <laughs> I fucking hate that movie. I like the Jimmy Neutron movie. Oh, you've seen those? Oh, I've seen that one, yes. Oh, okay. I've seen that one. All right. I haven't seen it since I was like two or whatever. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, it's been a long time. I'm get, I, that one I'm actually- I believe that was Oscar nominated. Really? I believe so, yeah. That's the one with like the gelatin egg people that eat, that's right. eat, eat the rat or whatever. That, that always terrified me as a kid. That's right. No one eats my parents unless I say so. Come on. That, that, yeah. Hell yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. We're going heavy into the, into the nostalgia waters next week. Good. Diving in head first. Good God. This podcast. What does this podcast become? <laughs> going right from <laughs> Japanese horror. <laughs> going, right, <laughs> going right from Kaidan <laughs> to SpongeBob. <laughs> Uh, and everything uh, in between. Love, All right. Uh, enjoy, my friend. Mm. Just be happy I didn't make you watch like uh, the Wild Thornberries movie, Hey Arnold the movie, Oh my God. Nacho Libre. See, I've series seen... of unfortunate events. Oh my God, a series of unfortunate events. I've seen that. All of these were options. I've seen uh, Rugrats Go Wild, the have... third Rugrats movie, a, a uh, crossover between the Wild Thornberries and Rugrats. Haven't seen that one. Mm. Have you seen any of the Rugrats movies? Uh, I've seen one of them, I think. Okay. Where they're on like a, like a, where did they go to Paris? Yes, that's right. Okay. That's the one that you're being assigned. I think it's I the see- best Rugrats movie. I was under I the impression you haven't seen any of these. Because I, I thought like when you were a kid, you were more like a Cartoon Network kid. I, well, I, I went over people's houses. I wasn't unpopular, I guess. <laughs> okay. I, I, I could, they would, they would show those to me. I don't remember anything about the Rugrats though. I, kn- I just know I went over one time and like saw a TV playing in front of me and could comprehend, you know, right. the Rugrats characters. Yes. Plot and moving images. Exactly. And characters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but I do remember the Jimmy Neutron movie quite well. So there is that. And SpongeBob you've never seen. Never seen the SpongeBob movie. How many like episodes of SpongeBob do you think you've watched oh, in your God. life? I, a lot. A lot. Oh, okay. I, I've, I've not, I haven't seen, I, I've probably seen the equivalent of like maybe two seasons and that's it. Okay. All right. So okay, you are well versed at least with the characters. Yeah, stuff. yeah. I know. I know the, how they work. Okay. You know. You know that Mr. Krabs likes money, and that's that right. Yeah. Sandy is from Texas, and mm-hmm. yeah, and that her last name is Cheeks. Right. And that SpongeBob is very porous, very porous, and absorbent, and and absor- And that the fucking Squidward for some reason is an octopus. Why the fuck is he an octopus? His name's Squidward. <laughs> All these ri- riveting cinematic conversations. <laughs> this is going to be the dumbest part. You can expect next week on actually, the movie Hall of Fame. I'm actually oddly excited. This is going to be really funny. <laughs> right. It's going to be very funny. <laughs> that is it. Love you. We'll see you in two weeks. Uh, until next time. Because I can't speak Japanese. Seven.